0: Welcome to the Shift Gold Friday Gold Wrap, your overview of this week's precious metals news. It's Friday, February 25th. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. Thanks for tuning in. So, yeah, that was a wild roller coaster ride in the gold and silver market yesterday, wasn't it? So, welcome to the show. Just a quick heads up today's challenge in podcasting, I am in my new place down in Tarpon Springs. And uh, so not only am I dealing with the echoiness of this office, because there's literally nothing on the walls and no furniture in here other than a uh, cheap Walmart desk. Uh, also, they are starting to put a new roof on this house, so they're up there scraping and banging. So you may hear some strange background noise. You may not. I don't know. I just wanted to let you know, if you hear some weird stuff, that's probably what it is. At any rate, gold, silver, after Russia invaded Ukraine... Gold initially took off on a huge rally, as you would kind of expect, as investors piled into the safe haven bid. The spot price went as high as about nineteen seventy four an ounce. that was a one and a half year high, and then gold tanked it dropped to a low of about eighteen eighty three an ounce around three p m and then it rallied again uh, before the close to just over nineteen hundred dollars an ounce. In early morning trading, as I was prepping for the podcast, it was down a few more bucks, but still holding at 1900 So when it was all said and done, gold was actually down on the day yesterday. Silver took a similar trajectory. It was up well over $25 an ounce at its peak. Uh, And the stock market took kind of a similar road for that matter. The Dow crashed, and then it rallied, and uh, it actually closed up on the day. Bigger picture, $1,900 an ounce seems to be kind of a rickety floor for gold right now. I think if the Ukraine thing winds down quickly, we may see a drop to 1850 The guy that writes the technical analysis for Shift Gold thinks that 1850 is a pretty solid floor at this point. I'll actually link to his analysis uh, of the gold market over on the show notes page for folks that are interested in that kind of technical analysis. The early buying in the precious metals markets was clearly an overreaction to the invasion of Ukraine. Uh, And then there was a big sell-off as people cashed in and took some big profits. Margin calls had to be met and traders had to get in and out of their positions due to the volatility the morning caused in the markets. There was also some news later in the day that I guess made people a little bit more optimistic that it wasn't going to be so bad. President Biden said there would be no U.S troops involved, and the additional sanctions that were imposed ended up not being as extreme as they could have been. Biden is trying really hard to shield the energy market from the impacts of sanctions. Uh, And more significantly, so far, the U.S. seems reluctant to lock Russia out of the Swiss system. This is the system that enables financial institutions around the world to send and receive information about transactions in a secure, standardized environment. Since the dollar is the world reserve currency, SWIFT basically facilitates the international dollar system, and locking Russia out would be a pretty draconian and significant move. As far as the impact on energy prices, Peter Schiff did a really good job of explaining why even if Biden does manage to keep the sanctions from hitting your pocketbook uh, at the gas tank, they're still going to hit your pocketbook. Uh, And he thinks that the sanctions are ultimately going to create even more inflation. I'll link to that one in the show notes page as well. Now, all of this really shows the weird, short-sighted nature of the markets, right? I mean, in the span of hours, we went from, oh my God, World War III, find a safe haven, buy gold, to, oh, no problem, nothing to see here, no safe haven necessary, sell your gold. Of course, reality didn't shift that fast. It's just perception. And you know, oftentimes, these short-term moves in the markets are nothing but perception and guessing. I think it's going to be interesting to see if the Fed plays this volatility and all of the stuff that's going on geopolitically as an excuse not to raise interest rates at the March meeting or maybe just go back to the 25 basis point uh, interest rate hike. You know, this is the perfect excuse if the central bankers think they need one to kind of back off of the monetary tightening. One more quick Ukraine-related thing. CBS was already blaming inflation on the Russian invasion. I kid you not. They actually tweeted this, quote, "...the U.S. economy has been hit with increased gas prices, inflation, and supply chain issues due to the Ukraine crisis." You know, it's like, find the inflation-caused bingo with these people. It's supply chains. It's rising wages. It's the Rona. It's transitory. It's greedy corporations. And with that, that brings me to the subject I really want to hit on uh, in today's show. This idea that inflation is being caused by price gouging by greedy corporations. Of course, this talking point has been around for a while. It's been a favorite of Elizabeth Warren, but it seems to be gaining traction in the general public. Like, I'm starting to see my Facebook friends posting about greedy corporations and inflation. So this talking point's taking off. And I think it's important to bust this myth uh, because I think for most people, your average guy on the street, it's a plausible thing, you know? big, greedy corporations. We don't like them. So, you know, they must be just raising prices because they're evil and and they're greedy. A uh, friend of mine from college posted a meme that's apparently making the rounds on social media about Starbucks raising the price of coffee despite a big 38% increase in profits. I think it was 38%. Well, yeah, Of course, there was a big percentage increase in profits last year. You're comparing it to the year before when the economy was completely shut down. And this reveals the problem. Most people trumpeting this dumb talking point don't understand basic finance. They don't understand financial terms. They hear things like profit and revenue and don't even really know what they mean. They are terribly confused, but they think they're experts because... They saw it on a meme. You know, memes are reality in the world of social media today. But the real reality is that this whole greedy corporations are causing inflation narrative is patently absurd. One simply has to reason through this claim to come across the absurdity if corporations can willy-nilly raise prices and enjoy excessive profits, that's the word that's often used and I have no idea what that means. What isn't an excessive profit? I mean what's a reasonable profit? this is a whole subjective thing, but you know excessive makes it sound even worse. so um, they can just willy-nilly raise these prices and they get these excessive profits. if they can do that, why don't they just do it all the time? I mean, did corporations suddenly get greedy in 2021? And why did the Federal Reserve spend a decade fretting about inflation being, quote, too low as it struggled to hit its 2% inflation target? I mean, was there not enough corporate greed before coronavirus? It's all silliness, right? It's pretty clear. There has to be something else going on. But Corporate greed is a convenient explanation, and the narrative continues to grow because, as I said, the average American doesn't understand inflation or basic corporate accounting. And then I think there are the sociopath uh, politicians like Elizabeth Warren who know better, but they're freaking lying to you. Um, but the the ignorant, the ones who really don't understand include a lot of people writing about inflation in the mainstream and the left-leaning corporate media. Uh, a lot of you know that my background is in journalism, and I can assure you that a lot of finance writers and economic journalists really don't know anything about economics and journalists. They rely on what these experts tell them and then you know faulty reasoning. So um, you're not getting a clear picture. Now, here's a little-known fact about Meharry. Um Yes, my training is in journalism, but I actually have a degree in accounting. Uh, This was my first foray through college. Now, it turns out accounting wasn't really my thing, and uh, I never actually accounted in real life. Uh, I found out as I was going through school that I am a word person, not a number person, but... I was going to be a musician anyway, and I actually was a musician for about 10 years. So accounting seemed like a good fallback. You know, your parents want you to have a a good fallback position when you say you're going to be a musician. So uh, accounting was that practical degree. Um, So yeah, I'm an accounting degree. Regardless uh, of the fact that I never really used accounting, I can read and analyze a financial statement in a balance sheet. So that comes in handy uh, when you're talking about things like corporate finance. So, some dude named John Nichols wrote an article for the Nation exposing what he calls a dirty secret, and he claims the current bout of inflation is caused by corporations, quote, jacking up prices. He shared his uh, article with the following tweet, quote, Amazon stock soars 15% after earnings. Will hike Prime membership fee. And then he says, when you hear the word inflation, think corporations jacking up prices to cash in on a pandemic moment in order to amplify and extend excessive profits. So this is basically how you say, I don't understand inflation in one single tweet. Now, Nicholas's author page on The Nation calls him a, quote, pioneering political blogger. Now, Okay, he might be a great writer. In fact, his writing seems pretty solid. And, you know, he may know a lot about politics, particularly progressive politics, which seems to be his, uh, his thing. But, you know, he would do well to take an accounting class before pontificating on corporate finance. I want to look more closely at some of the headlines Nichols used to prove his corporate greed argument. He had this list of quotes that, you know, he said, this is all you need to know. Um... But before I do that, it's really important to define some accounting terms. First off, revenue. Revenue is the amount of money generated from normal business operations. This number doesn't include any uh, expenses. It's just income. Now, you can report a big increase in revenue, but still end up losing money if expenses increase even more, right? Next term, operating income. This is, I think, a key um, financial number that people need to know. And and, and quite honestly, this number is very rarely used in reporting. Operating income is revenue minus operating expenses. So we're talking about wages, cost of goods sold, depreciation, uh, all of those kinds of things. Basically, this is your profit from business operations. But the key to this, operating income does not include one-off expenses like taxes or interest expenses or debt service. So operating income really gives you a better picture of how is this business doing? You get these tax numbers and, and you know, debt service, and you can, you can squiggle stuff around in accounting to uh, make things look higher or lower. And that brings us to net income. This figure accounts for all expenses, uh, including operating expenses that are in operating income, but then also taxes, interest, debt service, uh, these one-off numbers. Now, as uh, Investopedia tells you, this number is very susceptible to accounting manipulation, and it is the number that is most often reported as Profit. So, if you see a news report and they say that you know XYZ company had so and so profit, they're most likely talking about net income. Uh, a final term I want to to hit on real quick is this word growth. Now, this isn't technically an accounting term, but it is often bandied about in financial reporting. And it's generally comparing two periods and is expressed in percentage terms. So you'll see something like XYZ company's profits grew by 35% last year. Now, beware of this kind of reporting because it can be highly deceiving. If a company had a really bad year, say because the government shut the economy down, and then it rebounds the following year, it will show tremendous growth. That's the whole thing with this Starbucks meme. You know, you're comparing uh, the time when... The economy was shut down with the time that it was reopening, and, and yes, you're going to show percentage growth, but that's not really telling you anything about kind of the longer-term ter- trajectory of what's going on with that company. When you see percentages, you need to understand the context of those percentages, and you need to know something about the baseline that's being used for comparison. Revenue and profit numbers in 2021 are almost always going to reflect solid growth in percentage terms uh, when compared with 2020, when the economy was shut down. Except for companies who really boomed during the shutdown, you know the Netflix and the uh, the stay-at-home stock or companies. You know they did really well. So you might actually see uh, a drop in growth as we moved into the year of reopening. So anyway, those terms are important to understand and they're thrown around and they're interchanged and they cause a lot of people to get really confused. So let's look at some of Nichols's headlines. The first one, Oil Giant BP reports highest profit in eight years on soaring commodity prices. Now. This headline doesn't really tell us anything. I mean, it could very well be that BP had low profits or even losses in the seven prior years to this so-called windfall. And what does the headline mean by profit? I mean, is it talking about net income? Is it uh, talking about operating income? Or something else? We don't even know. I took the time to look through BP's financial statements, and they reveal quite a different story than old Nichols is trying to peddle. BP revenue was $298.8 billion in 2018. That plunged to $180.4 billion in 2020 and then dropped again to $157 billion in 2021. BP's operating income was 16.3 billion in 2018. In 2020, BP charted an operating loss of about 573 million. It rebounded to 10.5 billion last year. So, in context, BP's performance last year wasn't particularly noteworthy. Simply saying that BP had the highest profit in 18 years doesn't really give you any real information about the company's performance trajectory. In fact, comparisons like this often give false impressions. So let's look at some of the other headlines uh, Nicholas featured. Uh, I'm not going to get into the weeds of every company's financials as I did for BP, but you're going to get the idea. Okay, so next one. Cereal maker Kellogg Company forecast full-year profit growth above market expectations on Thursday, riding on higher product prices that helped overcome labor strike disruptions and soaring input costs in the fourth quarter. Well, that damn greedy Tony the Tiger... No, actually, all this really tells us is that Kellogg is going to do better than expected and that the company was able to pass on at least some of its rising cost to its customers. Now, people like Nichols completely ignore rising cost. The headline alludes to it, talking about input cost. You know, you would think that you might want to question why costs are actually rising. If you're going to analyze inflation, I mean, I suppose they just assume it's other greedy corporations gouging these greedy corporations. Now, based on this headline, it is possible that analysts expected really below-average growth, or you know, perhaps they were expecting a loss. Uh, if the company now forecasts average growth, you know, that would be above market expectations. I'm not sure how this really constitutes greed. Next headline. Procter & Gamble sales jump as consumers brush off rising prices. Well, guess what? You have to buy toothpaste and shampoo, even if the price goes up. When you see the word sales, it either means the number of units sold, or more likely they're talking about revenue. Just because revenue goes up doesn't mean the company is seeing a big profit. In fact, Procter & Gamble's operating income was down 3% year-on-year in q4 2021 next headline mcdonald's to raise prices despite record revenue see there's that term this is easy to misread if you don't understand the accounting terms if record expenses are higher than record revenues remember revenues are simply uh the the money coming in that's not good news a company will still have to raise prices to cover expenses if expenses are going up faster than revenue Or, I mean, I guess they could just go out of business. And finally, the headline, Nichols features in his Twitter. Amazon stock soars 15% after earnings and will hike prime membership fees. One simple fact about Amazon will tell you that Nichols' spin is total BS. Amazon's operating income was down 49.66% year-on-year in Q4. Now, the company did fantastic in 2020 when everybody was locked up in their houses, spending stimulus money on Amazon. But the tide appears to be turning. Shipping costs are rising. Amazon's future prospects are not particularly bright. So yeah, they're going to have to raise Prime memberships. This raises an important point about corporate finance. You have to be forward-looking. A company can report record profits today, even as its business is on the verge of tanking. The bottom line is that none of these headlines really proves greedy corporations are driving inflation, and that's because they're not. In fact, I've talked about this more than once on the podcast. Producer prices have risen faster than consumer prices. The cost for these companies are rising faster than Uh, what they're passing on. It means businesses have only passed on some of their higher costs to consumers. If anything, these greedy corporations have allowed consumers to gouge them for the last year. Now, here's the thing. Progressives like Nichols and politicians like Elizabeth Warren, all these people who promote big government, they have a vested interest in shifting the blame for inflation because the real culprit is government. As economist Daniel LaCalle explained, inflation is not a coincidence, it is a policy. And as economist Milton Friedman put it, inflation is always and everywhere a monetary phenomenon. It is ultimately caused by an increase in the supply of money. In fact, that is inflation if you properly define it. If you have more dollars chasing the same amount of goods and services, you're going to see a general rise in prices. The government actually exacerbated this situation during the pandemic by shutting down the economy. That contracted supply. In the meantime, the Fed printed money, and the federal government passed it out in the form of stimulus. You had more dollars actually chasing fewer goods and services. The inflation we're experiencing today was entirely predictable. The truth is the federal government needs inflation. It depends on Federal Reserve money printing to support its borrow and spend budget strategy. Without the Fed's inflationary activity, the government couldn't finance its out-of-control spending habit. But politicians don't want you to know that they're levying an inflation tax on you. So they're going to perpetuate all kinds of myths about inflation to try to make you feel better about it. The average person is particularly susceptible to the greedy corporation myth, as I've said a couple of times already. People generally distrust big corporations. They ought to distrust big government just as much. And they don't understand financial accounting. People like Nichols prey on this fact to promote their politics. Now, let's be real. There may well be some corporations that are taking advantage of the current economic environment to pump up profits, but that does not explain the 7.5% CPI, which is really 15% if measured honestly. If you hear somebody blaming inflation on greedy corporations, it indicates that they don't understand inflation, or else they're lying to you. The bottom line is inflation isn't going anywhere anytime soon. So, with that in mind, this is a great time to talk to a Shift Gold precious metal specialist. You can just call 1 888 Gold 160. Of course, you can shoot them an email to infoshiftgold.com. They'll look at your portfolio, your investment strategy goals, um, what you're trying to accomplish, where you are in life, and they'll help you see how precious metals can fit into your investment strategy. So, this has been an exceptionally long podcast. With that, we're going to call this a gold wrap for the week. You can get more information about all of the stories that I've talked about and more. Keep up with the latest precious metals news and analysis over at shipgold.com slash news. If you haven't done it already, you can subscribe to the Friday Gold Wrap podcast on Apple Podcasts on the Shift Gold YouTube channel, on Stitcher. There are links on the show notes page to all of these things. If you want to email me, drop me a line, mmeharry, M-A-H-A-R-R-E-Y, mmeharry at shiftgold.com. Love to hear from you. So thanks for listening to the show. Appreciate it. Hope you have a fantastic weekend, and I will talk to you again next week.